Welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 123. Your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And beer, glorious beer. That's right. We're back to a beer episode, and it's a good one. It's a long one, so I'm going to make this intro short. So as I considered a new angle to take on a beer episode, I'm like, okay, I've talked to two brewers. I've talked to my friend Brett, who worked in packaging. I'm like, what else can I do? I talked to Kyle Clark, who was just a fantastic interview and uh, a, a super beer enthusiast. He has a beer seller. We didn't really get into it that much, but that was an angle I thought might be interesting. So I reached out to my friend Josh Klaus, who was on this week's show. It bears mention, you'll hear it at the beginning of this interview, that Josh and I were set up on a mandate a number of years ago. Um, we were both sort of in the professional space. We were trying to connect, and some of the coworkers that I had at the PR firm uh, connected me with Josh. We hit it off. Uh, he's a really great dude. He has a beer cellar, and it's really impressive. I've seen it in the flesh. It's amazing. There's thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of beer in there. And as I started setting this up with him, he goes, you know, my friend Patrick is a sensory scientist at Avery, and would you mind if he was on the show? And I go, are you kidding me? I would love for that dude to be on my show. And he does not disappoint. This dude, he's, he's called... The Mad Sensory Scientist at Avery. And on this week's episode, he talks us through off flavors. He talks us through how to expand your palate. He talks us through the Cicerone exam. Both of these guys are certified Cicerones, which is another interesting thing. If you've heard of like a sommelier for wine, a Cicerone is basically that but for beer. Want to know what it takes to get a certification? These guys tell you. How much you have to study, what the test actually looks like, uh, how to improve your tasting, what you need to know about draft lines. There's a lot that goes into it. And as they say, it's a tough test. I mean, it's pretty thorough. You can't sort of fake your way through it in any way. So that's the angle I took. I'm like, okay, let's talk about beer from a slightly different angle. Now, fair word of warning, you've got three definite beer geeks here, and I'm certainly a few steps below these two. These two have an understanding of what goes into the making and enjoyment of beer beyond what I likely will ever have. But that's why I like talking to them. That's what this show is about. And if you can get past that, I know there's sometimes there's like a visceral reaction to what's perceived as snobbery when it comes to beer or wine or whatever. You know, foodies, hipsters, they're all sort of in this catch-all category where people claim intellectual snobbery, and I think that's misplaced. It's simply enthusiasm. And by listening to these guys talk about this, I think it's hard not to get... I, what am I looking for here? Infected by that? That doesn't feel right because that maybe I have off flavors on the brain. But it's hard not to get enthusiastic with them when they're talking about this thing that they love, that they pursue, that's their passion, that they spend money and time and energy and effort on. And I'd also like to give a plug for Avery. Avery Brewing is an amazing brewery doing great work, brewing all sorts of different styles. When I went to Josh's cellar, he pointed out to me how many Avery beers he has. And they do it in what seems to me every conceivable style. So we are very privileged to have a brewery like Avery right in our backyard. So go up there. Uh, they have a new tap room, a restaurant. 
Uh, I haven't been yet, but believe me, I'm going soon. So this episode is long enough as it is, so I'm going to cut this short. Episode 123, Josh Klaus, Patrick Combs. Josh Klaus is a friend of mine. He's a certified Cicerone. Patrick Combs is the mad sensory scientist at Avery. Their episode starts right now. Two thousand eleven through two thousand sixteen. So okay. typically it's going to be year to year. So that's the same beer over a number of years. Will you as you taste those, will you try them like back to back to back to go, okay, so this is what eleven is like versus twelve versus thirteen versus fourteen? Or is that one of those things where you sort of like create a memory for it and then be like, Okay, so we, we opened the eleven the other night and now we're gonna open the twelve. Like, how will you do that as, as someone who is very into this? So I guess the answer is it depends. Okay. For some beers, a really popular style of tasting is to do exactly that, is to do year to year to year, back to okay. back, just to understand how the beer is different from each yearly release or how it ages over time or both. Okay. For me and those Avery beers, I actually have... Uh, and I, and when I was buying them, um, I told the guys at the store this and they were kind of shocked by it. I was, I have 80 of these in my cellar already. Right. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's actually, it goes a little bit beyond. Wait a minute. 80, like eight zero, eight, 80 total across all of the okay. decade plus that Avery's been making those beers. So, okay. um, and, and which, which in the scheme of things, right, isn't actually a lot. For a lot of these beers, I have one or two of each year so far. Right. The thing that I actually am doing with them is far more, I guess, of an educational endeavor for me. Okay. I'm looking to really catalog and understand each individual year of that beer. It's consistency from, say, even bottle to bottle. Right. Um, which is my favorite, why it is my favorite, what the flavor variants are. So there's, there's a different layer of education that I'm trying to accomplish personally from buying those two six packs. Okay. To what end? To the end that Avery hasn't gone so far as to actually catalog this information themselves. And I feel like it's deserving of being. Okay. So recorded. I, am I off in saying there's almost like an altruistic <laughs> bent to it? Because, you know, when I say to what end, that's another way of saying why. You know, because that's one of those things where you're cataloging type this particular beer over a number of years for what purpose? You know, like why, why would someone do that? It, like there, there's a fun component and you can, you can pull that microphone out. However you want to do it is, is all right. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta eat it a little bit. That's right. That's perfect. Do you talk like that? Because that's amazing. Uh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So why? Why? But but here's the thing, Josh. Like, the reason I ask this is, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, is because you're not in the industry ostensibly, right? I mean, you're not getting paid to be like a beer geek, right? Only. Occasionally, and by occasionally, I mean once in my life. <laughs> okay, so in other words, no. But, so, my my point is, this is a fairly intense endeavor for you compared to someone who's like a casual sort of hobbyist. When you say you have 80 beers in a cellar, that's a level up from someone who's like, 
oh yeah, I, I've been to most of the breweries in Denver or, you know, like I call myself a craft beer enthusiast. I would call that leveling up. Is that fair? Yes. Um, leveling up seems to be a, I guess a boastful way of, of saying that. And I, and you know, one, one of the issues with the craft beer collector community in general right now is, is simply that a lot of it seems to be very status oriented. Okay. Um, so when I, and I don't mean that in a pretentious way. Yeah. I just mean that in a level of interest and activity way. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like, I don't, um, I personally don't have a seller. So, and, and I guess I can put it in these terms, right? Like when I was going through, whether it's college or high school, I was good at school, yeah. but nothing really grabbed my attention and therefore it made it hard for me to find a career. It made it hard for me to like think about what I wanted to do with my life. I, I found a good career and I'm, and I'm very happy with it, but you know, I've always, I've always been pretty jealous of people who, were really, really passionate about something in particular that, that just drove them to study more and to look at it more. And that thing, for whatever reason, for me, became beer. It, and when did that happen for you? Like, when did you sort of discover it? And it is there, can you put like a gateway beer on it? Because I've had this conversation before, and I remember I went to college in, at CSU. And so I remember going to parties and you're drinking, you know, Natty Light and you're drinking Bush Light and Key Light and all the typical college beers. And then, you know, yeah. you go to a party and someone's got a keg of 90 shilling or someone's got a keg of fat tire or whatever it is. And you go, my God, what is this? Like, this is much different. And you're like, I have to go to this brewery. And the first few times you go, you're like, I cannot handle this much flavor. You're like, I am not used to this level of flavor for my beer. But like something will grab you. Something will get its hook into you. Do you remember what that was for you? Um, I, I wish that I could say that I, I remember a specific moment in time or right. a specific beer, but I don't necessarily. What I can tell you is I actually wrote a blog post about this for uh, a blog called Denver Off the Wagon. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, blog? I know Off the Wagon. Well, and, and, it, and that bears mentioned uh, because Ginger Pels used to write for that, right? Yeah. And Jim Halligan. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, that's how we met. We were sort of set up on yep. a mandate, um, which was kind of weird. You were working for a startup at the time, uh, of which we probably don't need to mention the name. It doesn't exist anymore. It no longer and... exists. Perfect. Uh, I was working at a, at a PR firm at the time that no longer, all, that also no longer exists. Oh. And so we met, we, we kind of hit it off. We stayed in touch. I think you were my very first Twitter follower back when I was doing Crew Jones Society. Great. Which was awesome. Yeah. Um, I was but, very generous. Back then. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, um, you wrote a blog post for Denver off the wagon. Yeah. And that blog post was kind of a response post to, um, one written by the guy who started that blog, PJ Hoberman. And, um, he wrote about how at Breckenridge's avalanche Amber was his breakthrough beer. Right. Um, I wrote something in direct response to that about, blue moon um and how it doesn't get enough credit hmm. for turning mainstream beer drinkers into craft beer drinkers so i i wrote that post and and in it what i wanted to make clear was i wasn't saying that it was yeah like the end all be all no right? oh, yeah. and, and i wasn't saying that 
you know, I even enjoyed it now. Or I, I went so far as to say I, I don't know what it was. It, and, and I think, like, I actually had a line that it could have been a skunky pin keg of moose head lager <laughs> in the backyard of a college frat party for all I know, right? Right. What I was looking for, I, I, I really knew that I did not like the kind of beer that was served at most college parties. I would drink it to get drunk yeah, yeah. and have a good time. But I just became more interested in the range and the diversity that's available to us in craft beer and in, in beer production in general. And Blue Moon's a great gateway drug for that. It, or mean, was at the time, especially. It was that for me. I, I would assume it's that for everyone. I think I've probably met more people who got into craft beer because of Blue Moon than probably anything else. That's probably fair to say. And so just by way of introduction, first of all, that's Josh Klaus talking. And Josh Klaus, who who you've heard, is a good friend of mine who lives not far away now, which I was happy when you guys bought a house. And it turned out it was not far from my own house because you guys are cool and and you have this beer cellar, which you talk about occasionally on social media. I mean, we don't see each other a lot, but like we sort of stay in the correct orbit, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah. Being a part of both the Denver social media community <laughs> right. and also the, uh, the tech community about a decade ago now. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty OG. It's not as OG as some of my friends. <laughs> right. and I'm sure that I would get crushed by them by well, saying like, that. But... Like Jim Halligan has uh-huh. the Twitter handle at Jim, Jim. Mm-hmm. which it's like, dude, how early an adopter were you? Holy yep. hell. Uh, that was crazy. But as I set this up with you, because every so often I need to do a beer episode. Like I, I just like it. So I've talked to Brian O'Connell and, and Justin Backery and Kyle Clark, who as far as like prominent news media folks, he's about as fierce an advocate for craft beer as you can get. Yep. Um, favorite of my wife. And then the, uh, the first one that we did was, uh, Brett Zardi, who at the time was assistant brewer at Renegade. He went on to work for Epic. Now I think he's head of packaging for Crooked Stave. So really good dude. Uh, it's, it's a nice lineup. And so as I was pitching this to you, because I knew you were into it and you had a vocabulary for it, you'd pass the Cicerone, yep. um, which is, I didn't know what that was until I saw that you were studying for it. And I think it was a post where, and by the way, it bears mention, Carrie McDonough is sitting right here and uh, Josh's wife. And she, she had put you through like a, like a blind taste, right? Yep. I remember that post. I'm like, what is he doing? I'm like, this is, this is like, uh, this is like sommelier. And I go, oh wait, there's like a sommelier for beer. And so I looked it up and I got into it and I found out later that you passed it and that was awesome. As I went to set this up, you're like, hey, my buddy from Avery wants to come or not, not wants to come necessarily, but. Uh, I'd I'd like to invite him. I mean, <laughs> I was open to the idea. I, I, <laughs> I convinced and, him over many conversations. And so, uh, Patrick Combs, you are. Give me your title. Officially, according to our website, I am the sensory scientist. However, my uh, official title on my business cards is Mad Sensory Scientist. Nice. <laughs> um, because I feel like having the word scientist in your title is just a little awkward, and so. Well, if, well, it, it could be, unless you're like an honest to God scientist. Right. You know, we're not wearing lab coats. We're not, uh, <laughs> we're not solving, solving the world's how many, greatest how many problems. Test tubes did right. you handle today? Yes. Oh, hmm. So you are, you are mad sensory scientist for Avery. 
And so I guess sort of same question to you because I, like, we obviously didn't meet each other until tonight. Right. But, you know, we'd exchange an email. I, we hooked up on LinkedIn and you appear to be another corporate sort of refugee. Uh, is that, that is, fair to say? That is a fantastic way to describe that. Um, I like to say and I, topical <laughs> also. <laughs> um, I, I like to say that I had about all the fun I could have in the corporate environment that I could possibly have and then had to leave. And is that, accurate enough well i never wanted to be there to begin with (laughs) um (laughs) how did you end up there then uh you know sort of by default right so um like most people right yeah unfortunately um i actually was a a marketing and international business major okay at oklahoma state university and for my capstone i was huge in craft beer then and so i decided that i was going to write we were tasked to write a marketing plan we had to come up with a plan how to improve somebody's business. Nice. All right. And so I decided to choose, uh, I chose a brewery in the Northwest and I said, yeah, I want to, you know, I want to make them bigger. They're distributed out here in Stillwater, Oklahoma, but I feel like they could be selling a lot more beer. Here's all of my ideas. (laughs) And so I put... Do you mind sharing who that was? Who'd you write it about? Uh, I'd rather not say... Okay, that's fair Because I'd like to tell the entirety of the story. Okay, perfect. Um, <laughs> and Not that it matters, because they sold to a venture capital firm, but it does. anyway. Um, <laughs> so, um... For those of you in the know, there's a wink and a nod. Well, you know. So anyway, I wrote, wrote this marketing plan for this brewery on how to better market them in the Midwest. Right. And they, um, I thought it was good content, and, um... I wanted to be in the in the craft beer industry. I loved everything about it. I loved the complexity of beers and the variety of beers, and um, I had no idea that that beer could be and that the money. Thing. And and about when was this? Right, the money. Good. This was um, 2012. Okay, nice. Yeah, so uh, not that long ago, five five years now. Anyway, so I wrote this marketing plan and um, sent it to the CEO, and my professor introduced me to her through email. He didn't know her, but we found her email address and we sent this marketing plan to her. And I arranged a conference call with her and I sat down and I said, you know, here are my ideas and blah, blah, blah. And I actually just happened to notice that two weeks ago you opened an entry level marketing position. We'd love to be considered for that. Huh. And her response was, well, none of your ideas are feasible. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, on well, top thanks. of that, we'd like to hire somebody locally. Oh, well, thanks. And I said, load. well, all right then. And so, um, yeah, def- corporate by default, um, not by choice, um, Right, everyone's got rent, right? Right, exactly. You've got, you've got to you've got to do what you got to do. And so I ended up in healthcare IT, and um, it wasn't a bad a bad stint in sure. corporate America, but um, it did allow me three years to continue to study beer. I'd studied beer for two years previous to that, and so I just continued to push and made it a hobby to brew and started studying off flavor compounds. As soon as I started getting weird off flavors in my home brew, I wanted to know right. exactly what that was and how that was formed and. Describe to me what off flavors you might get, especially if you're a oh, home man. brewer. Like, just uh, like smothering. give me, yeah, give me, give me like a high level. Yeah, right. Um, a lot of people get um, green apples, which okay. is acetaldehyde. Acetaldehyde is what causes hangovers and liver cancer. <laughs> oh, and it's 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 in all beer, and and you know that's just sort of what happens when you digest ethanol. But it's <laughs> essentially ethanol that did not make it to ethanol. Right? So you, so you're ranking these in terms of likeliness, not yes. intensity. Um, <laughs> acetaldehyde, Can- cancerous qualities primarily. <laughs> you know, Top to bottom, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Jesus. All right. Um, diacetyl, which presents as buttery or um, slickness. Uh, if you're blind to it, you okay. can uh, roughly. 
they say a third of the population, there's varying numbers that you see, but um, there is a, a group of people that are blind to this, but they can still taste it in the mouthfeel because it sort of produces slickness on your tongue. Okay. And it's actually, it used to be artificial uh, popcorn flavoring for butter um, until they no longer allowed it in popcorn because turns out if you inhale diacetyl, which by the way, if you use an e-cigarette and you are inhaling the dessert flavors like caramel cheesecake, they haven't outlawed it, outlawed it in um, e-cigarettes, and it causes a disease called popcorn lung, Oh, which is um, deadly without a lung transplant, so definitely want to avoid w- Would you that. say that outweighs the benefit of how just fucking cool you look smoking an right? e-cigarette? Uh, we get it. You vape. <laughs> yeah. Stick to um, cotton candy flavor. I got so it. Yes, awesome cotton looking. candy. Mm-hmm. But- Diacetyl is an all beer, and when consumed in a liquid form like that, it doesn't pose any threat to anybody. So I don't want you to walk away and think <laughs> right, that okay. you're getting popcorn lung from drinking diacetyl in a right, beer. Fair but enough. Anyway, um, those are those are two, and then um, there's others that you you know you sometimes see in homebrew, but but it usually comes from sanitation issues. So right, yeah, not not cleaning your equipment properly, not understanding, right. yeah, sterilization. Right, I mean, essentially that's. It's what it mostly comes down to. Yeah, and so I sort of tumbled down that rabbit hole of off flavors, and um, it became sort of an obsession. And then I quickly realized that although I really enjoyed beer, nobody really wanted anything to do with me because even in <laughs> craft beer, um, unless you get a job in a tap room or unless you go to some sort of brewing school, there's really no way in. Um, and so, oh, interesting. As a and, and there are exceptions to that, of course. I couldn't play in their club, and so I decided to just start my own company where I trained people on off-flavors because I really enjoyed um, talking about off-flavors and, and helping people improve their beer. And so I started a, a beer education company. We did off-flavor training. We did, That's what I did. beer history training. That's weird. Yeah, we did beer and food pairing classes. We did a bunch did of stuff. Did you do that, Josh, too? Keep keep talking, Patrick. But I uh, started that in Kansas City and did a bunch of off-flavor training with breweries and bars and stuff of that that uh, nature, and then also did um, beer history classes, history of IPA, history of Goza, history of whip beer, just stuff that people drank all the time. Yes. And you could you could invite those beer geeks in to, to take these beers right. and to, to learn more about the style because they're all really, really awesome stories, especially yep. whip beer and IPA, and you dispel all the myths, and everybody's just like, wow, that's so crazy. 100%, right? So, like, was this, like, a side hustle for you? Like, were you still yes. doing, like... I was still... I actually traveled Monday through Thursday for my job. Oh, Jesus. And all then right. I would get home, and I would either have a class on Friday or Saturday, and yeah. um, yep. it was awesome. And that's a story that comes up again and again on this podcast, the things that people are most passionate about almost always start as some sort of side hustle. Yep. You know, like everyone's doing some shit that they have to do to make rent. And then what they actually love is they're doing around the margins and they're sacrificing something for, whether it's your free time or your sleep or whatever it is, you're pursuing this and you're doing it in a way that you're like, hopefully this pays off down the line. But so Josh, similar... Or, like, or not, right? Yeah, like, or, or um, not. I mean, my, my way of it paying off was really roundabout. And I mean, I guess it's no coincidence that Patrick and I became friends when he moved to Denver and, and took the job with Avery because yeah, we had the same idea, right? We're in love with the history. We love learning about this stuff. We actually love teaching people. We're both. Which is incredibly rare. <laughs> <laughs> I love learning. <laughs> if that makes me. A nerd, then so be it. Um, at least I can learn something cool like beer. Yeah, I mean, my, I was staying up. I designed a, a beer education course specifically suited for 
uh, bars and restaurants to better serve, understand, mm. and then educate their patrons about the beer that they're serving them. Right. And the the only place that's bought that course, and he's bought only in quotations, they did, they did pay for the course, um, and I could continue to sell it, but it just kind of hit the back burner for me, um, was Fresh Craft in downtown Denver. Oh, nice, yeah. Yep. was an incredible experience. Five, five weeks spread over a couple of months where I trained their entire staff on, on beer topics. And, and it kind of stemmed from an experience that I had working fine dining when I was in college with wine. And right. I was into wine for a period of time, and I kind of fell out of that and then got really into beer, like yeah, enough right. into it. I think and I'm sorry, when was this? 2000, and I graduated college 2005. Okay, so, nice. You know, we're talking 2002, 2005. Wow, all right. Um, the the latter part of that was was when I worked at this restaurant, and you know, there's there's not really that same level of intense education on beer. And Patrick knows that because he designed his company, and he built his company, and I designed my course, and right. they're, they're both aimed at the same thing. You know, when I was at uh, GABF once, I talked to a longtime industry veteran and it was someone that I had known just from the, the research that I had done. I was meeting for the first time and we talked a little bit about it and he asked me if I was industry. And of course I say no, cause I always no, right, say, no, no I'm not industry. I just, I'm a hobbyist. And, and I, I told him about the things that I, I do care about and the things that I think are important and the things that I would get into if I, if I did get into it, because the first question is always like, what are you going to open up a brewery someday? <laughs> right. You know, because everyone's doing that. It's a, you know, the next cool thing. <laughs> it's a really great idea. I, I recommend everybody opens a brewery. <laughs> right, right now. Like, what, are, what are you doing with your bathtub, John? Um, and I was never interested in it, not because I don't think that it's really awesome what brewers are able to achieve, but I just, the process of brewing, like I've helped my friends brew batches before and, um, I made one for our wedding. That yeah, was, that that was awesome. Talk about that for just a second. Yeah, but you know, I'll I'll say I'll just wrap up the story and say like, yeah, I'm, I mean, what interests me is actually making sure that places that I go from now on actually know the beer that they're talking about. They're starting, right. they're ex- explaining it to me the right way. Like that's the thing that I think is most important here is that we're advancing everyone's collective understanding of what good beer is. Oh, interesting. That will, that will make beer good for me. So the, my, my like long, long-term strategy, and that was actually kind of selfish and not from a money standpoint, because as I'm sure Patrick can probably attest to, it's not the fastest way to get your fame and fortunes is running a beer education company, but no, but yeah, Patrick, <laughs> speak for yourself. I charge like a man, but actually, uh, I wanted to go to places and, and, and have a better beer drinking experience. I gotcha. But the wedding beer was an awesome experience. And, and the best part about that was I didn't have to participate in the actual brewing process. That was actually made by, um, one of my groomsmen and one of Patrick's good friends now working at Avery, um, Josh Rapp. He's one of their lead brewers and a, and a brew house manager at Avery. He was able to get some uh, work that was made at that brewery. Nice. And then we partnered with a, an, another brewery run by my friend, uh, longtime, longtime friend of ours, uh, Jeff and uh, Chris mm-hmm. Porn. 
They have a brewery called Amazing Handle, by the way. <laughs> yes. And you know, I I don't, I don't mean to pile on, but it, that bears mention. Anytime you say the man's name is Jeff Porn, you go, "Wow, okay." Like yep. I I cannot tell a joke. You know, it's that this man is not heard by the time he was eight years old. Yeah. So. Okay, so that is what it is. I've met him. Jeff is a wonderful guy. He's the best. Yeah, he's he the coolest. He's the best, and so is Chris. And they um, have been Remember working. when tweet-ups were a thing? I think oh, that's yeah. when I met him. Absolutely. So, yeah. They were there. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway, yeah, uh, tweet-ups, for those of you listening who are not familiar, you'd, oh, you'd show up and you'd put your Twitter handle like You're on a name tag. you out, right? <laughs> no, of course yeah. not. Great. No, that, we're going to spend the rest of the hour talking about tweet-ups. <laughs> I'm so unprepared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a long way of saying uh that's how I know Jeff. I met yeah. him through you, but yeah. uh yeah, awesome dude. So they're the best. We've been good friends with those guys for a while and uh he was his brewery was in the I think the still in the first full year of their existence when we started that project. I had an idea. I got those guys together at Avery, actually, in their awesome new uh, taproom restaurant. And I told them my idea, and they shot it to hell. And then I <laughs> said, no, I, th- I think we can do this. And, and then and then we, we made it happen. We, we got Colorado Riesling wine juice mm-hmm. from the western slope of Colorado. Um, we got wort from Avery. Uh, we put it into fresh red wine barrels from Rocky Mountain Barrel Company. Nice. Um, also friends of ours who run and, and sell and manage that uh, organization. And we, we, you know, use Jeff's house cultures and age it in his, um, in his space in Erie. And what, what style would you call it? It's a farmhouse ale. Nice. Uh, with Riesling wine juice. And this one in particular um, is a style that is near and dear to the hearts of me and my wife. It's a, it's a Brett beer, a Brett and a nice. beer, um, that we feel like will age and keep for a long period of time. Oh, so it's like, it, so you can enjoy it like anniversary style, right? Like some people take yeah. the top tier of the wedding cake. You guys are going to do that with beer, right? Exactly. So we That's got. fantastic. We, well played. We got 25 cases of it. Holy hell. 12 bottles each case and, and, uh, Josh Rapp, who also got married uh, to his awesome wife, Lauren, uh, about a month and a half before we did, also got about 25 cases. Uh, yeah, the plan is to keep it long term. Nice. And, you know, one of the beers that my wife loves very dearly is Orval, which sellers really well and keeps really well. This beer has been compared to a lot of different things. I think that that is one way in which we know it's unique. It, it does remind me a lot of the character of Orval. Um, and I think it's going to keep for a long, long time. Nice, man. Good. All right. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about is you guys are both certified Cicerones. Chicharone or c- Cicerone? <laughs> the debate rages. <laughs> <laughs> Fried pork skin or expert on beer? <laughs> uh, like, am I revealing myself to be a total rube here? Or no, what? no, no. No, no, no. You, okay. you, you have it right. Nailed it. Okay. You nailed it. You uh, joke. We kid. When I saw that you... We're going for that and that you ultimately passed it. I, I looked it up and I mean, it's a test and I think more people are probably familiar with the small yay process. Is that fair to say? I mean, there was, oh, yeah. there was a show on Esquire network called, uh, uncorked and then there was, you know, there's a Netflix documentary called Psalm. Have you guys seen that? I'm assuming you have. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> and, uh, for those of you who are into this, I mean, that, Watching these guys prepare for the master small yay exam, which by the way is what level four 
Like Master Sommelier? Correct. Okay. I really like the way you do that. There are that. some questions like, that are Patrick <laughs> questions, and that is definitely a Patrick there, question. There's, uh, there's no visual here, but the way Patrick takes the mic and tilts it up, almost like uh, <laughs> like he's powering a farm using water, is amazing. Or he, like he's one of those like bird things. <laughs> I'm afraid that yeah. I'm kind of like I'm dips its head up and down. That I'm going to burp into the mic. Uh, we are drinking beer at yeah, this point. No, we, you guys showed up. We, I, I mean, and I had. Is we, that not allowed? We were out at sushi, me and my wife were earlier tonight, and so I had two Kirins. And so. That's right. You can head on whenever you need to. Patrick and I can carry this. <laughs> That's good. And there are, what, four levels of Cicerone? Correct. Yes. Okay. Now, as of, what, last, last year? year? Correct. Yeah. yeah, last year. Wow, did. Three before. They, it's they, a pretty big jump. Did they add an interme- like an intermediate step? Or, like, what so, step did they add? So essentially, Master was not necessarily unobtainable, but. Certified Cicerone is a four-hour exam, roughly, okay. that you can prepare for in, I would say, as little as three to six months okay. of, of studying probably at least 15 to 20 hours a week. All right. Um, so not not ridiculous, right? But, right? but there are study guides now for that exam that make that exam attainable for people that care about beer and want to pursue that level of certification. The issue was that you jumped from four hour a four-hour exam to... A two-day-long intensive master exam <laughs> that you're expected to know literally everything about everything to do with beer, and so they added a production an inter- method. And, yeah, like you know, like history and uh, essentially need to be quantitative to parameters for 90 styles of beer. Yeah. Okay, ridiculous, um, <laughs> and awesome. I mean, the Very people that awesome. have passed that are truly beer experts. Okay, well, how like how many people is it? One of those things where like 150 people no, across, not even. Uh, uh, real, not even? Uh, 20? Master, are, are officially, there uh, there's 20? 14 or 16 now. Yeah. Jesus, um, alright. And, and I would say at least half of them are from, uh, AB and Bevan Miller Coors. Yeah. Okay. Which I would assume they allow them the time to study for those and, and they pour Sabbatical. time and resources right, into yeah, them. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's, it's a prestige factor for the Absolutely. large brands. Absolutely. Where they can say, you know, we have one of six, or we have two or three of 16 masters, right? That right. kind of thing. Exactly. And okay. so they th- that was almost Crazy unattainable now. for a lot of people and so they added an intermediate level called advanced cicerone, which makes sense because then the cicerone program now has four levels instead of three levels and it mirrors the SOM program, right? So yeah, sure. when you're a certified beer server, which is level 1, you don't have the title of certified cicerone. You have you don't have that in your title, right? Okay. And it's the same with the SOM program. You take SOM level 1 and you're not you're not a SOM, right? You, okay. you cannot legally call yourself a SOMIA. Okay. What, what um, do you call yourself? You're invited to sit for the SOMIA okay. exam oh, I guess. level two. So, so it's almost like it's like prerequisites. Yeah. It's exactly. Like when you exactly. get to college, it's right. like I've completed all the high school work necessary. SOM squire. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're almost like a, a beer or wine apprentice at that point, right? You're, like, that, the, you're like Pod from Game of Thrones. <laughs> okay. You're going to have to reference something else. Game of Thrones, not my wheelhouse. <laughs> I don't have anything else. Is it Okay, we're going to move on. <laughs> okay, so keep talking. You pass level one. It, it's basically asserting that you're ready to start pursuing level two. Yeah, so beer server is really exactly like it sounds. It's yep. you're, you're certified to serve beer, and you're like, eh, nobody needs to know that. But it forces people at restaurants that want to give a crap about beer to invite their servers or require them if they want to right. still work there to uh to pass this very basic beer knowledge of 
if I pour beer into a dirty glass, what is it supposed to look like? Right. How do I ensure that I'm serving my customer the best product? And then to have at least a really ultra high level conversation, knowing what you have on tap at your restaurant or bar or whatever, and a customer says, oh, I really like wheat beer. What should I try? Right. And you've got a, you've got a great Saison on tap, which is in a way similar to wheat beer. And you could recommend that, but you would only know that if, you had an appreciation for both of those things. Right. You can make the link there. You can you can sort of draw the Venn diagram in your head of the right. qualities of a wheat beer with a Saison and go, okay, I could see where if they say they like this, they might like this. It's almost like working at a record store and being like, oh, you're into this band? You might want to try this band. That Like similar exactly. principle, right? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And unfortunately, no real bar employee has the same level of passion as any record store employee has ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably tough but fair. <laughs> but no, you know. there's there's more and more. There's more and more. I mean, this is why I did my program at Freshcraft that those guys that they they hire well and the people that work there really care about beer and so yeah. when we were going over the program, they wanted to know this stuff. Yeah. They were surprised to learn that Boulder Beer made a I think it was Boulder that we had um, made a made a beer that that they called a blonde that was actually a German style Hefeweizen. Oh, like, <laughs> weird. Okay, and and that type of distinction is really important if you're selling that beer to somebody. It has become really convoluted and really difficult to navigate the amount of diversity that there is in beer now. But if you want to be able to properly even recommend to someone who likes a certain style of beer or something else, you need to know that the thing that you're recommending is what it says it is. You need to have a, a, a reasonable foundation, which yeah. what you're describing level one is something that that would provide. And the the motivation behind that, Ray Daniels, the founder of the, the creator of the Cicero program, was quoted with saying he got really frustrated when he'd go into a bar, and he was very into beer when he started the Cicero program, but he would go into a bar and he would say, Oh, this looks really interesting. Tell me all about this. And the bartender would say something to the effect of, try it. You'll like it. Oh, Jesus. Like, God. okay, well, that doesn't, that does literally tells me nothing. Yeah. And so you're expecting, especially these days with craft beer, you're expecting me to throw down up to $10 for a, a snifter, an eight ounce snifter of beer. And you can't even tell me what I should maybe taste if I buy this. But yeah. if I bought a glass of red wine and I was like, describe this to me, you'd be like, oh, notes of fresh Bing cherries <laughs> with black currants and other fun things. Right. And and right. and so they you know they describe it and it's a very sexy description and and uh we we didn't have that and, in beer prior and, to this. And usually that bottle of wine isn't being poured out of the same bottle that house another bottle of wine that was completely different to it in every way, shape, and form. 30 minutes before. <laughs> yeah. Like it is with draft beer. And, right. and so there are so many more complex factors with serving good beer, whether it's bottle pour or draft, that because it's, the, it's a proletariat drink, no one has given a second thought to exactly how to do it properly for the longest time. I gotcha. And, and if you care, it's not just about being a nerd or being pompous about what type of experience you want. If you just want to drink a good beer, you want the people who are giving it to you to, to know exactly how it should be served. Right. Essentially, you're looking to optimize the experience. 
I mean, at, like, no matter what you're doing, whether it's, whether it's food, beer, music, driving, I, it doesn't matter. I, if, if you, if you care, you want the optimized experience no matter what you're doing, whether it's high culture, low culture. I remember there was a trend in craft beer for a long time where it's like, oh, you guys make fizzy yellow beer. Like, you know, that's, it, that, yeah. that's shitty beer. And you go, Stone's catching shit for that now because they just released what? Yeah. A fizzy ass yellow beer. That's is right. What they release. And, uh, that was the one thing they railed against on all their labels ever. You, you linked to an interview where he talked about that and it's like the offshoot. Isn't, uh, isn't Arrogant Bastard actually releasing the fizzy yellow beer? Yeah, something like that. Like, yeah. and, and, yeah. like he did some conversational jujitsu about it and I'm like, dude, you're full of shit. Okay. Like this is nonsense because like you just drank a Howdy Pills from the post. Yep. Which is one of my favorite beers and I think it's excellent. Mm-hmm. Like when we were together, we were drinking Pivo. Like there's, Love there's, Pivo. there's a way to do any type of beer. Like, and so that trend was always annoying to me. So it's like everything comes around. Patrick is really into, uh, New Belgium's new oh, session Day beer. Blazer. Yeah. Which one? It's called Day Blazer. Oh yeah. I haven't had it yet. Is it good? It's, it's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm a huge fan. They've got, uh, they, they sell it in six packs. They nice. sell it in 15 packs of 12 ounce cans. And they also sell it in, <laughs> 12 packs of 24 ounce cans. Oh, Jesus. All right. And so that makes it really awesome. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's their, it's their move against to compete with big beer mm-hmm. and yeah. it's the right price point. And I think, nice. I think it's going to do really well. I'm really excited for them. It's, it's I mean, a delicious beer. Everyone's got something that they're not really into. Like, uh, Vienna lager is not one of my favorite styles. Oh man. Um, <laughs> I love Vienna Get lager. Do you really? Yeah. Yes. Um, I should have brought you some of ours. Yeah. Fair enough. Not all of them for sure. Actually, Avery's is one of the better ones and uh, it's less than 4%. Is that right? 3.8. 3.8. Sorry. Weldworks does a good one. Like, yes. In Greeley. Yep. Like Weldworks Vienna lager. I think Puesta, it's. Puesta de Sal. That's right. Um, I had that and I'm like, ah, oh, Vienna lager, like not my favorite style, but I had it and I go, this is fucking great. Yep. This is excellent. So basically, no matter what you're doing, optimize the experience is what you're describing. Okay, so talk me through level two Cicerone. Like, what is that course like? Certified? Yeah, certified Cicerone. Mm -hmm. Um, What is the study like, uh, and and what are the actual components of the test? So, Patrick, it's funny you said three to six months? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Well, I guess this is not a braggardly thing. But I guess it's, it's important to point out, right? Like my level of enthusiasm led me to study for that exam for about two weeks. I focused on the service component, um, draft, draft line maintenance in particular. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Cicerone exam. And, and I, and I passed that thing with no problem. And, and I just like that. <laughs> my add- wife is screaming I'm not normal, which is absolutely the case. I don't recommend anybody do that. You can't do that. I mean, not you can't. You probably should not do that and expect to pass the exam, but I mean, those, the books that they taught, told me to read, it's the stuff that I was reading for fun. This is what I did. It was <laughs> stupid and it sounds like really lame and it, it is incredibly lame. No, but no, that's, Josh, that's it's, 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 it's enthusiasm, right? I mean, yeah. like it's, it's one of those things where if you're into it and then all of a sudden, like someone goes, it reminds me of when I was in college and I started out as a business finance major and I started taking business classes and I go, I fucking hate these classes. I am bored out of my ass taking these classes and I despise them. 
I was that was beautiful. He even leaned the mic down. That was great. <laughs> I opened a beer. What kind of beer is that? No, I'm just kidding. But uh a very brewing company? I don't know them. Don't get blacklisted for saying it that way. <laughs> uh, anyways. But, uh, so I was in college and I was taking, no, seriously, what are you drinking? Say it into the mic. This is radio, not television. Avery's Raja. 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 Raja, double IPA. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> double IPA. Raja. Double IPA made with, uh, Southern Hemisphere hops. Very tropical. Very dank. Fruity. It's very good. Sorry, Big secret. Business finance classes. Okay. Tell, tell us So. I'm in that and I'm like, I fucking hate these classes. I don't, and I, at the same time, I was taking public speaking and I was getting 96s in all my speeches and I go, what are the first two letters at the beginning of this class? Is there a major in this? And so I go into it and I go, holy shit, there is a major. And I read the major description and I go, I can take classes in this? You should probably do that. Yeah, yeah. I should probably switch my major. Right. So I did it that day. For you, it's like I sold I sold my first training course to a bar before I had even passed that exam. Yeah, exactly. And I was telling everyone in that class, "Hey, if you guys really like the stuff, you should really become a certified cicerone." Yeah, and they'd stared at me and they were like, "Oh, well, how was that process for you?" And I went, "That's you're really like you're not going to like I'll it. See but... you after class." <laughs> you know, but like I I had no like I was not doing the thing that I said that everyone should do. So I thought I might as well discover right. the process. Okay, so 100%. Yeah. What is the actual test like? So what is the test comprised of? What does it look like? Well, when I took it, it was approximately 130 uh, either multiple choice or fill-in-the-blank questions, largely okay. fill-in-the-blank. Yeah. I can't speak to what it is now because they have since changed the 2015 style of the exam. So they uh, they change it as the BJCP, Beer Judge Certification Program, Got guidelines it. change. And I had a friend take it recently and said that it was a little bit different than I described, but basically the same thing. Thereafter, um, that you have a really good foundational knowledge in everything, right? So, can you give me a sample question? Yes. Uh, let's let's do several sample questions. Okay, like perfect. When cleaning a draft line with dynamic, not dynamic. Yeah, dynamic static. Is static? No, 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 no. Anyway. <laughs> Um, what it's referencing is cleaning a draft line with a pump versus cleaning a draft line static, not moving at all. Okay. So dynamic cleaning is when you're recirculating fluid through a draft line to clean it. There's different times, 15 minutes if it's dynamic or 20 minutes if it's static, meaning just the fluid staying in the line. Okay. It's 15 minutes for dynamic and 20 minutes for static. That's a question. Okay. Sort of fill in the blank. Right? And what's funny is like, like foundational. Like if you can't answer that, you shouldn't even be drinking whatever beer. You're yeah, before. seriously. Like, what the hell? On. No, fist right. yourself. It's uh, but it's funny. Like I'm not, I'm not gearing up to take the Cicerone, right? But if you're a craft beer enthusiast, but you don't work in the industry, you're like, oh, Cicerone, that might be like a fun thing to do. But you don't know anything about service. You don't know about storage. You might know about flavor. You might know about beer types. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned to me that you studied hard on that component of it. Yeah. So, I mean, that that type of stuff uh, that Patrick was just going over was the piece that I was missing the most of because even when I was a service industry professional, of course, I was doing wine service, you know, like that right. was not even close to the dynamics that are, you know, uh, necessary for draft service. So. Right. You need some at-bats with that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like my exam. And Patrick and I had many of this exact same components on the back end of that exam. All of the essay questions, or we took the same, we took the same exam. Nice. Um, as we found from talking to each other about it. There's a video portion <laughs> of the certified Cicerone exam, 
and it is a, a video tutorial that you need to do on a certain aspect of service. Mine was the cleaning of a faucet, a draft faucet. Oh, wow. All right. Which I, of course, read about. <clears throat> I, of course, um, was able to answer in an essay question. In video, I look like a complete asshole. And there's no two ways about it. I failed that miserably. Pieces of that faucet head were dropping all over the counter as I was on that video. <laughs> I basically middle fingered the camera before I left the room. And I still passed my exam. So, nice. I mean, I knew what the score of that component was because I'm a good test taker. But, you know, th- there's an aspect of, of that, that that was a world that I didn't belong to. Well, and, 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 and you've touched on something that, that uh, I know about myself. Like, I fancy myself a smart guy, but I was always good at school. Oh, like I knew there's a difference. Exactly. <laughs> like I knew how to take a test. I knew how to be good at school and not, not everyone has that skill set. So sure. if you know how to take a test, you can almost like meta the test. Yeah. So I, I mean, what you're, it's describing- actually really hard. I, I will say this about the Cicerone exam. I, I was able to do that for, you know, a lot of my general education. The Cicerone exam is definitely different. Okay. It is. You have to display competency across disciplines. I I think it's one of the most harshly scored exams that I can think of. The only other time in which I've been more subjectively harshly scored for answers that I believe to be non-debatable was when I took, I took one course in business law. Okay. And this is, why I had no damn interest whatsoever in becoming a lawyer. So is there a tasting component to the Cicerone then? Why, yes, there is. It's my favorite part. Is it really? <laughs> it's my least favorite part. As a sensory scientist. <laughs> well, sure. And so what is what does that compose like? Because I, I know the Psalm one where you get three red and three white, right? Oh, interesting. I don't know that. If, if you watch that show Uncorked, which I have... Um, there's three red and three white. And so then you give, and you have like 15 minutes, I think, or 45 minutes or whatever it is yeah. to, uh, you basically have to make calls on what they are. Yeah. You have to say where they're from, uh, what part of the world, what style and like what year approximately you think they are. Um, how does it work for the Cicerone? So there's a, um, an off flavor component. Okay. The off flavor component consists of, um, you get a control beer. Okay. Something that hasn't been messed with. Yeah. Then you get four samples. Of those four samples, three of them have an off flavor, but one of them's the same as the control. Oh wow! All right. And those it's only six off flavors, so it could be one of six off flavors for those three, I believe six. And then they move on to another one, another four sample flight. On that four sample flight, they give you four beers, and each one could be one of two styles. So I could give you the pale ale that you're drinking right now, and the, and I would say, is this a pale ale or an IPA? It's usually a little bit harder than that. It would be like, is this a Saison or a Belgian Golden Strong? Okay, wow. So like a little bit, you know, they make sure that there's similarities between them. Sure. But if you know both of those styles, it should be relatively easy. And then the last one is fit for service. So they give you four samples again. And the, the scenario is the customer sent back this beer. Your job is to taste this beer to figure out if the customer's complaint is legitimate or <laughs> if they don't know what they're talking about and the beer is fine. And so they randomly spike those. You don't know if those could be spiked or couldn't. Usually it's a, about 50% of them are wrong and the other 50% are fine. Okay, wow. Yep. So for, for someone who specialized in off flavors, 
I mean, you said that was your favorite part. Did you did you find that to be relatively easy, or were you at home there? I pat I I got everything correct except for um, two style differentiation. Okay. That was my hardest thing because I overthought everything, <laughs> and it was funny because in studying for uh, the next level of Cicerone, I heard a quote from a master psalm, and his advice to everybody studying for master psalm or level three psalm was, "Think long, think wrong." Ah, so yep. don't overthink things. It, smell it and let your memory guide you in, into what what's wrong or, or what's right. And just go off of that. Don't literally sit there and dissect it. I sat there with, they gave me Goose Island wheat. <laughs> and I sat there and I was so nervous. And I, I remember smelling and tasting that beer. And the the options were, is this an American wheat beer or a Hefeweizen? And I knew Hefeweizen should have like, Hefeweizen's... Um, what like clove? Yeah, it and should banana, have clove right? and banana, and it should be thick, and it should be creamy. And I'm like, uh, I think I kind of get a little it's bit of banana. I don't know. Uh, what is, it? is it not? I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I remember circling hefeweizen. Smell your sleeve. Like, smell your sleeve. Smell your sleeve. I smell your sleeve. I crossed out American wheat, and I, I circled hefeweizen um, because I I had overthought it. But is that just anyway. the? It, is that the three twelve or the? Uh, yeah. So Goose Island wheat. Yeah. I mean, I've had that before. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's called three twelve. Dude, that's too funny yep. because, yeah, you'll, you'll, I mean, the longer you think about it, the, the more you'll talk yourself out of it, right? And then on, uh, Advances Round, they give you one beer and they give you four choices. <laughs> so it makes it twice as hard. But then on Master Cicerone, on the tasting exam, and I just looked at the Master Cicerone tasting exam yesterday, they don't give you any choices. Okay. They give you a beer and they say what style of beer this is. And it could be, wow, one of 90 some odd styles. <laughs> and granted, for what it is like you can look at color and clarity and smell and aroma and all that but even when you do that it's usually still like oh this could be one of six different styles right now and yeah i really don't yeah. know and you have to pick up the nuances of that style and hope for the best right the, the, the style choice one that i miss and they and they give you do they, the t- they tell you when it's over what do they tell you when it's over? Like what it was, or oh yeah, yeah. The end, actually the, they do now the because <laughs> <laughs> there used to be too much debate otherwise, yeah. and uh, they ended up needing to do that in order to uh, make sure that there was consensus in the room so that they could actually count the scores. Oh, um, and somebody could have gotten that. the wrong sample cup or something like that. And, and let me tell you it's a story person. about the session that I was in. I'm not, I'm not actually sure whether or not this got counted or did not. But the one of those style choices that I got wrong, the choices between what style the beer was, was German Pilsner, <laughs> which I had just written a long essay on, and uh, Kolsch. Okay. And the problem with German Pilsner, if it's been sitting on store shelves too long, is that its defining characteristics are hop-related, and those die out, and you're left with the malt. Okay. And the defining characteristic of Kolsch as it compares to something like Pilsner is that it's more malt forward and less hot forward. Right. Both have a bitter bite, but German Pilsner is definitely more hot forward and Kolsch is definitely more malt forward. Well, and and, and, and so I'm I'm going to take a guess here just because I'm I'm not as wired into this, but yeah. you know, Pilsner. You you mentioned that Pilsner has more of. You said it's more hop forward than a mm-hmm. Kolsch is. I mean, uh, a Pilsner is brewed uh, like a lager, right? Mm-hmm. And and a Kolsch is brewed like an ale. Yep. And so, I mean, that speaks to those differences, right? And and a 
a, a, a pilsner will have almost like a like a pepper like quality to it. Yeah, it can. I mean, a lot of that comes. Or from... Or is that like a Czech pilsner? No, I mean, I think any any um, old world pilsner, whether it's a Czech pils or a, a, a German pils, is going to have hop qualities that are old world hop qualities, okay. which tend to be earthy, which tend to be peppery, which tend to be spicy. Okay. And my wife just joined us, so I gotta I gotta pronounce it like brew dogs, so it's earthy, earthy, <laughs> earthy, yeah. earthy. <laughs> yeah. As somebody who went to school in Scotland for my master's degree, yeah, I, I, I know all about. Uh, so okay, so keep but, talking. But the yeah, the thing that I was looking for was a hop component that wasn't that wasn't there, and as it turns out, yeah, they they had given us from a local store in America ah. a, an actual German pilsner <laughs> that had probably sat on that shelf for God knows how long. They don't do that anymore. Yeah. Well, hey. <laughs> right. And, probably because of this guy. And I, and I raised this problem to what was a new proctor and, and a dude that I love, so not, not necessary to call him out for it because it certainly wasn't his fault, but I, I said, you know, no, no wonder I thought it was a Kolsch. I wonder when that beer was. How, how long ago was store. yeah? Yeah, exactly. So it's it's stuff like that. Like there is very, very light nuance between some of these styles, between some of these beers, and that that's that's where the rubber meets the road for people who really understand beer. Right, and I, and I get why. I think if if I had one point of feedback for the Cicerone program, it's it's simply to, to focus on the things that matter to, to start really defining what makes someone a certified Cicerone versus an advanced Cicerone versus a master Cicerone and don't litigate over these tiny, tiny variables. Like I gotcha. You, you mentioned to me when I was at your house over the summer that you, you said you were not uh, a terribly intuitive taster. Is that accurate? Oh yeah. Oh, totally. I had to, Teach myself everything. Okay, everything. so my wife is really good at understanding flavors and, and aromas and and like being uh, able to and like to sniffing them out, right? And, like and and describe them. Yes, and I am god awful at it. How? Okay, so since it's a learned skill for you, yeah. Um, what would you say is if someone wanted to become more nuanced or better at tasting, what what tip would you give them? Like, how drink do you, everything. Okay. Yes. Drink everything in sight. Okay, because here here's something I'll say to you, Josh. And I was at I want to say like Black Sky Brewing or something. And uh I was with a friend and you know, he he wasn't deep into craft beer. And I'm like, "Oh, I'm getting a lot of like chocolate and caramel notes from from this stout, whatever it is." And so I said to him, I'm like, "All right, after you take a sip of this, Close your mouth, press your tongue to the roof of your mouth, and breathe out through your nose, and you should get more chocolate. Like, you should you should experience chocolate. Like, you should smell that, and you should taste it. And so he takes a drink of it, closes his mouth, presses his tongue to the roof of his mouth, and he goes, wow, I do get more chocolate that way. And so, like, that was a practical tip for him to understand that beer in a way that he wasn't getting before. And I found almost with food, wine, beer, whatever it is, having a guide is really helpful too. Yeah. Like having yeah. someone who can be like, okay, this is how you can experience it. This is what you can expect to taste. And 
getting clued in with someone who knows, like rather than guessing in the dark to me yes. is, is very helpful. It, because you want to be careful not to lead the witness, right? And, and there's so many ways in which we do this in every facet of our lives. But I mean, this is a, an essential part of Patrick's job every single day, right? Is, is, is to make sure that he's scrubbing every way that he interacts with the staff at Avery to make sure that he's not doing something that might influence their decision-making down the line because that's yeah, so but, critical. But that's advanced. I'm talking about like yeah, your yeah. average person. But, and, and there's there's a but coming, right? Like okay, the, fair and, enough. And the but in this case is, but we need to speak a common language. And I, I think if there's one thing that I see beer educators doing who work at breweries or professionals who have been doing this a long time, they're – noting aspects of the flavor qualities and the aroma qualities of hops and malt and beer styles in the exact same language. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, 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 it's a big, it's a big, uh, huge debate in the, in the craft beer <laughs> world. No, um, it's, it's a, but it's something that's, it's talked about now that is, is kind of like case in point on this is the term horse blanket when it comes to describing beers that typically have a musty or cellar component and are influenced by Brettanomyces yeast. Okay. I've smelled a lot of horse blankets in my day. I don't have you? you? Oh, yeah. Every day. I mean, when I saddle up different kinds of horse blankets, that's what you have at Avery as part of your tasting panel. Like, smell this horse blanket, then smell this beer. It should be exactly like that. And that is, that is a, that is a, an aroma and flavor component that is used to describe Brett beer. And Brett beer is some of my favorite beer, my wife's favorite beer, some of our favorite beer in the world, some of the beer that we care most about, some of the beer that we'd like to see more breweries dive into, explore, produce right. for us to get. And I have no fucking idea what the hell that means. But if you write it on an exam. Yeah. That's that's an A plus plus. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna use an example from the movie Psalm. When he's describing Sauv Blanc, he said aroma is like a freshly opened can of tennis balls. And that's yeah. very vivid. It is. That's and, legitimate. And and you go, Oh shit, I know exactly what that smells like. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the other Psalms that they talked to said, uh, I I use the the term pool toy. And you go, Okay, I know what that is. And so if you drink uh, a wine like that, you go, yeah. oh, I know exactly what they're going for because I, I wouldn't say, you know, I, I'm not akin to chewing on pool toys, something like that, but I know exactly what that smells like. So when you describe horse blanket, it's coming up with almost an oblique way of uh, a perfect analogy for describing an experience because you cannot, it's, it's hard to describe a taste or a smell without mm-hmm. an analogy. Like, it okay. smells like this or it tastes like this. Uh, describing an actual taste is nearly impossible because it, it almost defies verbiage. That, that, that's, I, I, and, and I put that to the sense scientist too. Yeah. And I'll, I'll let Patrick answer in a moment and I'll say that that is, it, you know, only useful insofar as it speaks to a common person, a common patron who wants to drink that beer. Right. And I've seen way too many use cases of areas where people who know beer speak past their audience. Right. A great example is when Carrie and I went to go visit some brewers in upstate New York who were doing a little bit more experimentation than a normal craft brewery might be. They were working with sour beer 
and they were introducing people who were coming into the brewery for the first time and called the aspect that makes the beer sour um, bacteria. <laughs> and the look on their face was like they went white, right? Because our concept of bacteria is one of a negative connotation. That is not a way to sell your audience on beer. No. And and you Jesus can easily Christ, do that. Man. So horse blanket is one of those things. Let's let's describe these things in in t- in terms that mean something to your audience. Right. But, but it's also super simple to say, hey, this is actually soured via the same bacteria that makes yogurt. It's called lactobacillus, and it's what makes yogurt. yogurt. But in this case, it actually makes lactic acid. And it's like that simple, stupid, simple consumer terminology that if more people would adopt and break it down to like to like very lower levels, I feel like it wouldn't be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's not so bad. I like yogurt. Sure. I like yogurt. So uh, eh, this doesn't sound terrifying. But I guarantee you, like like you said, if you were just like, yeah, we introduced all kinds of bacteria, and the bacteria create all these things. We're, we're brewing. Oh, is it safe? What? We we brewed it in the shower. Um, <laughs> so okay, so Patrick, if someone wants to improve, you know, their tasting ability, their palate, their ability to discern flavor, do you have any tips for that? I would say at a high level, and a lot of people really hate, um, at least. From like this this beer snob standpoint, right? Right. The pick six selection is like, ah, you're just drinking all these IPAs and stuff. Like, whatever. Who cares? I will tell you that when I was trying to study for the the certified cicerone, I I started getting pick six packs. Yeah. More and more often, and all of a sudden, all these styles that I hated, that I thought right. that I didn't like, I started to find really good examples of what those styles were, and all of a sudden, German beer. As yeah. a broad category of like, oh, no, I don't like German beer because German beer is German pilsners and probably some dark beers or whatever, but who cares? Yeah. Uh, and you start, don't go alt beer yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it's boring, cares? right? Yeah, yeah, dumb. And then you start to drink these beers and you start to realize like, whoa, hey, hang on a second. No, that's that's really clean. And, and I get a lot of these crazy malt characteristics and I know they're malt characteristics because they're sort of these roasty flavors. And you you sort of dive down these rabbit holes of all these different countries of beer. And it's very difficult to buy... Uh, imported beer in the United States that's fresh and in really good condition. And so right. I do recommend that you start local first. Oh, yeah. But taste a beer. Get a pick six pack. Open all six of them yep. in front of you. Don't do not do them one at a time. Don't do them two. I'll do two tonight and two tomorrow and two the next day. <laughs> yeah, Open right. all six. It's going to cost you 10 bucks, yep. which is what you'd pay for two beers at also, a bar. Also, it's okay to not drink a full beer. Can we just say that? <laughs> Pour it down the drink. So many Pour people. But don't, I know don't take a video. Leave the table without drinking every damn ounce of a terrible beer, and it right. is the worst decision you'll make that day. But so, yes, so no, but open all that. six of them yeah. and pour them all into glasses and smell and taste each one of those beers. It's going to cost you ten bucks, yeah. maybe, and um, you're gonna you're gonna figure out what you really like and what you really don't like. And then you can go online and read the brewer's description of what they were intending for that beer or what hops were used in that beer or whatever. And it becomes this discovery process of what styles do I like, what styles do I hate. And then on top of that, there are great books like Tasting Beer by Randy Mosier that right. you know, that, that is a great introduction to just high-level everything, right, of smelling and tasting things. And I really recommend that for people that want to know more. But um, the pick six thing is really the 
best thing to do. And even if you're getting six IPAs, you're going to open all six of those IPAs and, and you might notice that two of them are very similar, but then the other four are radically different from each yeah. other. Yeah. And that's what's really great about craft beer is that it's everybody's interpretation thereof of what that style is. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, it's like going to an art gallery and looking at six different pieces of art. And some of them may be really bad, but some of them may be really great, and and, and you'll take a chance. And and yeah. can I just say, like, beyond, like you know, you, you use wine as a as kind of like a uh, an, an obvious parallel to this experience, right? I guess we're a little bit spoiled in beer because beyond the components of wine that has to separate one cab from another is basically like the conditions in which that grape is grown in. Right. There, there are other factors there there's production methods there of course as well yeah there's oak, steel oak, tanks versus oaking oak like. usage yeah yeast i mean a lot of that stuff can can actually influence um that aspect of wine but in beer you're talking about two different agricultural components yeah both of which have the same amount of diversity as as grapes yeah do. and and beyond that the the amount of of impact that yeast should have on a beer is, you know, a hundred times that the impact that it should have on a wine. Interesting. So, you know, you're talking about three components, and if you want to add water into the mix, you're talking about four components, ostensibly that can have a really, really drastic effect and impact on your drinking experience for what you're what you're having. So, interesting. One single style can be a million times over, completely, completely different. I gotcha. Okay. We're about at time. So first of all, I want to, you guys wanted to mention this. You just opened something that is, uh, regarded as one of the best beers to seller in the world, right? What did we open? So I'd debate the sellerability component, but yes, it is known as that. So this is, um, West Letter and 12 from, uh, Abbey St. Sixtus in Belgium. Nice. In West Flanders. This actually, they, they only, Sent this beer to the United States one time. <laughs> that was in 2010. So did I you believe. bring this back? No, actually, this is from that one. Oh Jesus! All right, set nice. of distribution. So, um, if you read the top of the cap, it has a uh, a kind of drink by date of the year 2015. Of course, we're in 2017 now. So right. this beer's expired technically. <laughs> um, but it's not. It's not an IPA. I think it'll be okay. Right? Yeah, it's it's a it's a Belgian. Um, Quadruple style beer, darker, malty beer. And how was it? Did you have some, John? No, not yet. Um, Did you have some, Patrick? How was it? Patrick, I think it was your first time having it. That's correct. Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. I I see why you're a Cicerone. (laughs) (laughs) This beer was very nice of the nicest quality. So yeah, so this, this, uh, this, this is a beer that's, that's really, really well known. I actually waited at the time that this was released. In, in front of the store that was released at in Boulder that was near my office at the time before the store opened with a bunch of people who don't normally stand in line to collect beer because this is so well-known. Gotcha. I've had aged versions of this that end up taking on a kind of cola component. Um, this is not at that point yet. I actually prefer to age other quads more than this beer, okay. but it's by far the most famous of probably this the same style of beer in the, in the world. All right. I just wanted to make note of that because we're drinking it. Mm-hmm. Last question I have for you guys. In terms of craft beer, in terms of trends, in terms of the culture, 
What is the thing that annoys you most about it? Ooh. My friend here may disagree with me. <laughs> However, what annoys me most is people that take beer and they age it without having an understanding of what might happen to that beer. Okay. And in addition to that, without ever having tasted it, it would be the equivalent of buying Star Wars for the first time. Okay. You'd never seen any of those three Star Wars movies, but you bought them and you thought that maybe if I waited 10 or 15 years, they'll be timeless. And when I watch them, I'll appreciate them more because okay. they have older styles of acting and special effects. And maybe we would watch Star Wars and be like, wow, yeah, things used to be crazy, claymation and stuff. But if you don't have a frame of reference, if you've never watched them in the day that they were released, you yeah. don't have a frame of reference to figure out if that movie got better yeah. or if it got worse. And a lot of people do that. They gotcha. buy these beers, they buy these high-gravity beers, and they're like, yeah, man, I'm waiting for a special time to open that, probably in another two years for my 15th wedding anniversary. And I'm like, okay, well, I hope it's good then. <laughs> Nobody knows if it's going to be good. It could be infected. could be disgusting, but we'll see. Yeah, That's what frustrates me in I gotcha. today's day and age. Perfect. That's a good answer. Josh? Oh, man, there's there's so many things to choose from that annoy me about beer nerds. Uh I guess the thing that I feel like is is not annoying so much as it's it's just what I feel completely unnecessary is the chase is the chase of the 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 next great beer the next most important thing to have tried right it's the endless pursuit of the perfect lambic style American made beer or peanut butter cup fucking porter or whatever is the the flavor of the week. Right. And you see it because the same people who are chasing it one day end up abandoning it for the next thing soon after. I made my way through what was available in American craft beer via beer trading on a couple of the most notable beer trading websites that I'm sure anyone knows about. And I got out of that when those same styles of beer and the quality of those same styles of beer ended up being available to me locally. I just don't need to do it anymore. Right. So I'm not missing out at any point by not being at a beer at a specific beer release or being privy to trying one thing or another. And I think the more that people, I'm glad that people want to try things that are different and exciting and new. Um, and it's great for the brewers for sure. Well, no, 100%. But what you're describing to me is like you don't need to overpay to trade someone for Heady Topper or something, right? Heady Topper is just the you know it's just the the beginning of it. I mean, you know, to Patrick's point, he's saying people shouldn't sell her if they don't know what they're selling, and that's a hundred percent true. Most of the beer that's great to sell her doesn't require standing in a line to get it. And right. I think that that's the thing that kills me about this hobby is. You know, we, we opened up a beer here in West 112, and that's that's not an easy thing to, to come by, which is one of the reasons why I brought it. But I also brought it because it's a perfect example of a beer that I actually don't prefer to age. And there are a lot of other quads. St. Bernardus 12, La Trappe's uh, quad, both of which I vastly prefer to age over this beer. I just think that they end up uh, Rochefort 12, 
is another great example. All, all of those beers are ones that uh, that I'd prefer to age over this. And, and I, I think if people realized what was available to them just from a further understanding, of, as Patrick kind of mentioned earlier, about really immersing yourself in beer and what's available to you and not just chasing the hottest trend, we'd be a lot farther in the breweries that are making great beer and have made great beer for a long time. I got gotcha. you. Um, would would be you know uh doing a lot better because of it my answer is craven motherfuckers who are profiteering from this <laughs> the people who stand in line and buy up all the shit just so they can resell it later yeah. fuck those people okay like i'm someone who's like look i just i want a bottle of whatever it is like what whatever is interesting and fun and tastes good like i just want to try it okay like i'm not interested in turning this into a goddamn side business for yeah. myself and there are people who want to do that, and that frustrates me. And Denver Post first draft blog does uh, interviews with brewers every year yeah. that, that uh, I really like. Yep. People will take videos of themselves pouring beer down the drain of something that they find subpar, which is just intellectual snobbery at its worst. And I fucking hate that. It's like, look, it's beer, like, and especially if it's a smaller brewery, like these these folks are pouring their heart and soul into this. Yep. Like, don't be an asshole about it. The the snobbery that comes with this is annoying to me. So two part answer for me, snobbery and profiteering. And I fucking and hate that. The great the great news for people like you who realize I don't want to think that way about the beer that I'm seeking and, and I'm disappointed by is that there are fortunately for us a lot of local breweries just like Avery that make incredible beer of every style yeah. of the highest possible quality that are if if they're not 110 percent of what you could get in whatever trade you're considering or whatever brewer, brewery or beer that you're trying to acquire um it's 99 percent. right so just visit your local breweries learn which ones make great beer invest in those breweries and it will pay you and support the shit out in the of long them. run yeah. mm -hmm. that's right uh, we covered a lot here. Now's the time in the show when we do plugs. Uh, anything either of you guys want to plug, do it now. Let's hear it. I'm going to plug Patrick. <laughs> All right. Well played, Josh. That, that is the, you set the record for the shortest amount of plugs we've ever done on this show. Well done. Patrick. I'm going to plug Josh. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> no, we, we have, uh, we have a strong ale fest coming up. So if you do nice. want to taste some rare, crazy, Great higher muscle. ABV beers that are older or hard to come by, Tickets are on sale for that now, so definitely um, look out for that. It has sold out every single year that we've done it. <laughs> we have done it, I think, 16 years now or 17 years. Right. Quite, quite, a, quite a few years, so definitely look out for tickets uh, for that. If you're interested, it is a great time. Okay, give us uh, give us the plug on the web, like social media. Like, where can we find Avery? Uh, I think people know where to find Avery, but yeah, sure. do it for, the, for posterity. So... Check out the Facebook page, the Avery Brewing Facebook page. That'll give you a, a, a link to the tickets. I believe it's an Eventbrite page, but um, you'll be able to buy tickets through that. And, um, yeah, good times. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. This was enormously insightful, uh, hugely illuminating, and just a lot of fun. Thanks for bringing great beers. Thanks for chatting beer with Thank me. Thank you. And uh, you guys are the coolest. Continued success to both of you. Thanks, man. Thanks, John. Of all trades. And that wraps up episode 123 of the John of All Trades podcast. Thank you to Josh Klaus and Patrick Combs for 
sharing their passions, their enthusiasm, and most of all, their knowledge about the vast world of beer here on this show. And thanks for bringing such great beers over here. Uh, we were fairly well lit up by the end of that interview, uh, which is as it should be. It was Friday night. We had a great time. You can download this episode on iTunes or on Stitcher. Become a subscriber and get brand new John of All Trades episodes delivered right to your listening device. We are on the social media at J-O-A-T-Pod. You can find that on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Pinterest. Pay some love to our sponsor, 4Degrees, number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Whatever you're doing on the web, no matter who you need to reach, 4Degrees will provide the solution that works best at a cost that you can afford. They will build you a website. They will optimize your campaign. They'll even help you with content. It is fantastic. I cannot recommend them highly enough. So go to the web, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. John of All Trades Podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Deft is on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. And we're back next week. Facebook is the only place to get official previews of the show. And just as a final note, support your local brewery. Seriously, get out there. There are great breweries doing amazing work in any style that you can conceive. So get out there, taste some beers. If you want, I'll come with you. Give me a call. I'm happy to go to a brewery anytime. So until I see you at your neighborhood brewery or back here next week for next week's show, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.